Hello and welcome back to the Other 99% podcast. Uh, special episode this week because we've got our first ever interview. Very lucky, if uh, if you view it that way, to have uh, Tom <laughs> Tom Osmond, um, very good friend of mine uh, for for a long time now, has uh, graciously given up his time to come and talk to us um, about his experiences in fitness, in sport, in elite sport as well. Um, so we're looking forward to this. Thanks for coming on, Tommy. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. <laughs> um, so we start each episode with uh, hypes and gripes where I talk about something good that I've encountered in the week and then something that's annoyed me a little bit, um, just just to get things going. So my hype this week is, um, oh, what's my hype this week? I'm going to go with, um, last night was the Somerset Cricket Awards evening. We saw Tom Abel pick up three awards. Um, had some other friends playing high level hockey, had the London Marathon, so there's been a lot of good sport. Um, happening this week for the elite and for the other 99 um, and then my gripe is going to be that Bath lost their third game in a row um, so that was frustrating to watch on Friday uh, but yeah hypes and gripes how about you? Uh, my hype this week will be watching the new Bond film last night which I thought was excellent Nice. and my gripe is going to be I came back home to Taunton uh, for my sister's birthday and just some traffic caused by the whole petrol situation was quite frustrating uh, so that's that's my gripe for this week yeah we actually um, we pushed our car onto the forecourt this week because we ran out of fuel going to get fuel <laughs> um, absolutely ridiculous yeah I know but we'll call it physical training I put it in as a session so it's fine um, yeah so we've known each other now for what 20 something years 25 years yeah we, we were both pre-prep weren't we I think we were so that is two years old so it's been about 25 years um, yeah. pretty special 25 years actually <laughs> but your journey into fitness didn't start when you were two um, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into it why you got into it yeah so I started um, weight training at 16 we were in fifth form weren't we that's when we, we kicked yeah, off yeah GCSE yeah um, I think and I was very skinny at school so my, my motivation for training at that age was uh, pr probably boils down to sexual attraction and wanting to be more physically attractive um, so yeah that, that's kind of why I started lifting weights and when you started you know what was your way in so you said you, you're quite skinny uh, when you started you wanted to be more attractive to the opposite sex I don't think you're alone in in that um as an initial motivation but when you started going kind of what was the plan was there a plan so the, the plan was um, obviously I have a friend Tricky he had already been lifting for about I think he started really young didn't he yeah. I, th I think he'd already been training for about a year so I basically just went to the gym and copied what he did and he, he kind of showed me what to do like we were just saying a minute ago our initial programme was chest back chest back arms Monday to Friday um, so yeah we got, got a few things wrong yeah got a few things wrong but you know coming from a place of inexperience I think we were also saying before we started that when you, when we were at school sort of that length of time ago there wasn't much provision for for training for fitness for S&C uh, I think that's kind of where the motivation for this podcast started as well just to help people out with with getting started because 
you know training chest back chest back arms is you know the, the beach gun lifestyle is is not sustainable it doesn't kind of lead to the the healthy habits that that we might sort of um employ and, and try and teach now but you had you had your early years where you you did your beach guns you did lots of sit-ups uh, how successful was it early on um like well you know this as well like doing anything in the beginning you're going to see results so even if it's not the best program on paper um by the time we had left school at 18 uh, we, we did see pretty good results from from sticking to it for those three years yeah, so there's a couple of things that come out of that, isn't there? There's consistency for three years, you know, going, um, you know, even just a few times a week for, for three years, you're going to see a benefit. But obviously, um, we'll come on to it more, you work in, in elite sport now. Those early benefits that you tend to see, particularly within the first kind of month to six weeks, you know, why is it that we see such a sharp increase at that point? Said so that... Like you'll you'll see this as well, like the principles of training. Over time, you start to see diminishing returns, so you get really, really sharp increases quickly. And like I said, you can literally do anything, and you're going to see progress. Uh, Especially like you'll know this from running. You get into running, you go and you hit PB after PB every session, pretty much. But over time, as your body adapts, and you start to see diminishing returns, and you need to be much more precise in your planning and programming to see those improvements continue. So being more precise, do you think you have to do more or do you think you can just do it better? So that, that's like the volume intensity debate really, isn't it? Uh, they're, they're both important um, training variables and when you look at the research, intensity always pays off over the short term, but the question is how sustainable is that long term if you keep smashing yourself week in, week out? So for long term progression, I think volume is really important, that does need to increase over time. But intensity is your kind of bang for buck, and in my opinion, it's the main driver of adaptation. So I, I think they're both really important. I think that's quite encouraging for those people that are probably listening to this. That other ninety nine percent, those that work a nine to five job, possibly have a kid, maybe have to a kind of strap for time in their sessions. That it's not all about increasing the volume every single time. But if you go in, you know, you can lift weights hard, you can lift with high intensity, and you can actually still see a benefit you know, off a shorter workout. You don't have to be there for two hours plus every single time, right? Yeah, I'd say so. And when, when, when you look at resistance training, intensity is probably more important than volume there, particularly if you're looking at strength. You can get away with doing 10 sets a week um, per movement pattern and you're going to see results from that if you train at a high enough intensity. When you start to look at endurance, then volume becomes a bit more important. Amazing. Um, so we'll just go back to kind of how you started to gain all this knowledge. Um, so your degree was in strength conditioning and sports massage. I've remembered that correctly, haven't I? Yeah, my, my undergrad was, the title was sports conditioning, rehabilitation and massage. And then my master's was strength and conditioning. Awesome. And why choose that? You know, why did you go into that kind of profession um, or subject? Well, I just... I don't know if chance is the right word, but basically, you'll probably remember I dropped out of doing law at, um, I was probably, you know, I would have been 18. So, moved back to Taunton, and then I was looking around for degrees to go and study. I actually really wanted to study economics, because that was my best subject at school, but I had really poor grades. So then, I was looking around, 
I found a few nutrition courses that I fancied, but they were in Scotland and places like that. And Georgie, my sister, was like, why don't you go and study at Cardiff? Because she was there and said it was really good. So I looked at Cardiff Uni. Again, I didn't have good enough grades to get on to any of their courses. Um, so then I looked at Cardiff, met, found the title of a course that I thought sounded interesting and just, just went for it. I didn't even go and visit the uni. I just phoned up through clearing and went, went the next month. Amazing. So it really was kind of a whirlwind uh, entry in into the world of sport, kind of law to searching to, yeah, why not try this? Why not go to Cardiff? Just because I think it was a fun place to go. Yeah. Amazing. And then you you fell in love with it um, enough to stay and do your, your master's in strength and conditioning. So obviously that was more of a conscious decision to choose that one because um, you had three years to, to kind of think about it so was there was there a plan a master plan at that point not really so when when I finished uni I still didn't really know what I wanted to do um, I was waiting for results day because if you get a first class degree then they give you a scholarship to do your masters for free so I waited till results day um, I was still looking around at other careers at that point and when the results came out I did get a first then I went and did the masters because it was free and as part of that degree you had to do an internship so I managed to get that at Somerset Cricket Club which was my first year of working in sport and then from that point on I was I knew I wanted to be an SNC coach then Amazing and obviously Somerset Cricket Club is the pinnacle of any sporting environment that you could be in I have a completely unbiased opinion on this being a, <laughs> <laughs> a rather big fan myself um, but you you went there and it was your first professional environment coming out of university how did that compare going into that world of elite sport yeah so coming out of university you you think you know what you need to do strength and conditioning wise and then you soon find out that whatever's in the textbooks is actually quite hard to apply in practice and it's a lot more complicated than you think it is going to be so I'd, and come, like going into that environment you're like oh, I'm going to go and do this because of this this and this but it, yeah it doesn't doesn't play out like that particularly you know their their job is to play cricket their job is not to be you know in the gym the whole time so they've got a lot of a high skill um, level that's required of them and I guess my interpretation of cricket from the outside now looking in would be that perhaps SNC has not been at the forefront of cricket for that long and it's not been present for that long and I don't know if you feel the same way but you know the the guys would probably spend a lot more time doing their skills and their fitness and their rehab and their conditioning work would be the first thing to kind of go um, certainly in the past maybe um, I don't know yeah, if that's that, the case now that's been, that's been quite a hard lesson for me especially I'm working with modern pentathlon now and one of the things that I took from the last Olympic cycle was the only thing in the week that I actually don't have to do is the gym sessions. And as a strength and conditioning coach, that is quite hard to accept because you value it so highly. But yeah, it's it's there to support them in their athletic development. It's not it's not essential. So let, let's go on to that modern pentathlon. For those of us um, listening who don't know what modern pentathlon is, talk us through that. Yeah, so it's it's five sports. They swim, horse ride, shoot, fence, and run. So they're they're the five events. My goodness! So that's 
quite difficult from a programming point of view because you've got a lot of different movements and well like say sports or events you know all rolled into one so the programming for that from your point of view must it must take a lot of time yeah I'm, I'm quite fortunate because there's been strength and conditioning support in that program for a very long time now so the the purpose of SNC in that program is well cemented which makes my life a lot easier and if you were trying to look at those as five separate sports and say how can I improve each one that it would be a much more complicated task to do but the purpose of strength and conditioning is that the purpose of strength and conditioning in that program is to try and keep the athletes healthy so that that's the main thing we look at so then you go okay what are the most prevalent injuries in this sport and then how can we try and reduce that so it really narrows it down to looking at a couple of things instead of a really wide range of stuff I find it interesting that you say, you know, even at that that top level, we're talking about the Olympics. It is, you know, in in many ways the highest place that an athlete can possibly compete at, and winning an Olympic gold is the pinnacle of all sporting performance. And yet, their strength and conditioning work can just be neglected. Is that just through choice, or if they're a bit tired? I mean, you say it's the only one they can choose not to do. Kind of how rigid is that structure? So yeah, I say it's the only one that they can choose not to do, but because it's been in the program a very long time, even before I came into the program, the athletes really valued it, especially the ones that have had injuries. They know how important it has been in that rehab process. So it was already really well established and they'll, they'll regularly lift, they'll very rarely miss a gym session. Maybe if it's a particularly hard training block and they're really fatigued, then it might be one to go. Or if it's a week before the competition, we had that last season where they take Jim out of the program to help them taper, um, but for most most of the year they're regularly lifting in the gym. I guess that's kind of nice to hear. Not you know nice for the athlete, but even those guys at the top of their game are still getting injuries, just just like the rest of us. Um, you know, I've had people come to me in the past and say this hurts or that hurts. What can you recommend? And I guess my my first thing is well, six months ago you should have started doing a bit more work in the gym um, but that's not particularly helpful for them <laughs> once they've had that that injury or that little niggle but um, you know for for every everyday population I guess we see higher injury rates particularly around um, like new year kind of time the, the new year's resolution I remember talking to a physio about that and he says yeah the amount of running injuries that I get around sort of yeah. February time you know they just go through the roof because people set this target and they go right I want to get into running I'm going to run a marathon you know that's a great target yeah. but you don't have to run that marathon next week you know you, you can build up to that so if you were going to say um, to someone who's perhaps just getting into sport um, what would be the kind of number one or num you know top couple of things that would help them stay fit yeah, that, that's the most important one is the workload, the amount of training you're doing. So if you're looking at something like running a marathon, start really, really gradually and build up slowly. And that's easier said than done because you know what it's like, new year, new me, all of that, I'm going to go and smash it and run every day for the next however long. Um, but yeah, have some patience. You might start with running, you know, 20 minutes, two or three times a week and then build from that. But yeah, start very gradually. 
you actually with your um, your independent coaching work did a really good video on this recently but that that increase that you're talking about you know I'm a person who's new to exercise I've run for 20 minutes I found that relatively easy why should I not run for two hours next week so if if you went and ran for two hours next week you're not accustomed to that workload so your soft tissue is not adapted to that repeated loading that you experience when you run the really common one in running is Achilles problems and the amount the Achilles has to work when you run is I think it was 40% elastic energy from your Achilles is what contributes to your running stride so you can imagine the amount of work it's doing over 5-10k of running so building up slowly let those soft tissues adapt to that loading and then they'll be ready to take a higher workload as you progress is there anything that people can do around you know we've taken running i think it's a really common um activity and i actually did an episode on how um difficult global climates have actually contributed to an increase in running so looked at the economic crisis looking at covid and how um numbers of race entries and people running for fun actually increase when times get difficult but obviously you know we want to be outside we want to make the most of it but is there anything that people can do alongside their running to kind of help increase and improve that yeah so the the obvious one is strength training so if you get get yourself to the gym and lift some weights that's going to be beneficial in helping you tolerate higher amounts of work and that said, if you can't get to a gym, there's still stuff you can do from home. So the Australian Institute of Sport did some really good research on the amount of single leg calf raises you can do and that being protective against tendinosis. So you can you can work on that type of stuff from home. Amazing. And that's actually, um, <clears throat> again, it played a part in the motivation to this podcast, seeing some of the brilliant home workouts and things that you could do in your living room while we were in lockdown versus some of the quite ridiculous things that people recommend um, as perhaps a good idea uh, for home workouts. So it, it's definitely worth people, you know, finding somebody like yourself from a coaching point of view early on, isn't it? Just to make sure that they're going in the right direction and what they're doing is actually helpful to their sport. Yeah, I think so. Like, if you're not willing to go and research it yourself and put, put a good plan in place, um, what, what I see most people doing is not not appropriate training and they end up injured or not seeing the progress they could do and yeah having some guidance along that way is is beneficial because i think that's one of the the underlying kind of bits of any training any sport any person is the motivation and we love to see you know progress in everything that we do don't we it's promotions at work it's an increase in pay you know go, if you if your thing is going to the gym you want to see the weights go up if you're running you want to run further you want to run faster and if you're not seeing that then motivation can actually start to to drop off can't it yeah for sure um yeah i've, I've seen that in um do you follow a guy called chris williamson i don't actually he, he does a he does a podcast called uh, modern wisdom and he talks about men in particular they get to a stage he calls it like the fitness menopause <laughs> so as, as you get to your late 20s you start to realize that actually lifting all this heavy weight's not making me feel amazing and they get into like running or take up another sport or do do something else and what you're saying probably plays into that and not seeing the progress of what they have been doing you know, at 18 everyone wants to be like mr olympia don't they and then you get to your late 20s you don't you don't want that anymore it's interesting you say that they're you know not feeling amazing and switch to running or cycling or swimming or something like that because 
Um, we've spoken before about the benefits of weight training and resistance training versus cardiovascular training or mental health, and actually that there's a higher a higher benefit from the CV work than there is spending time in the gym. And actually, that you know, you've got a lot more responsibilities in your late twenties than you do when you're when you're young, when you're in your late teens, early twenties, and perhaps it's a, a way of decompressing from all of that as well. Yeah, and that, like we spoke about, there is research showing uh, resistance training is beneficial, as beneficial as antidepressants for treating depression. So there's still definitely psychological benefits from doing that. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm definitely striking more of a balance now between just training for strength and size and keeping on top of your energy system development. Because there's that is um, the old saying that it's probably teenage boys that probably say this the most is what is it cardio kills gains um, and yeah. actually the, the kind of theories of training around that are completely flawed and, and you've probably experienced this yourself because you're training a lot at the moment that you've been able to run and improve at your running while still maintaining you know all your gym work as well yeah that, that was completely the mindset I had and probably the, the reason I avoided cardio for so long was I thought it would interfere with uh, training for putting on strength and size but yeah as I think that period over lockdown where I was running up to about 40 k's per week and my numbers in the gym didn't go down at all so yeah a lot of the fears around that I think are um, what's the word incorrect I like, <laughs> yeah yeah, inc incorrect um, obviously like the research on interference effects like, it, it does have an effect but going through periods of it's like block periodization maybe you'll go through a phase of focusing on increasing strength and size and go through a phase of increasing your endurance and going between those two you can maintain whatever you're just coming from and try and develop what you're moving on to next in the next block if that makes sense yeah I think that's really important for people to kind of understand as well isn't it that maybe your motivation initially for starting to exercise is uh, maybe to just look good for a holiday you know there's nothing wrong with wanting to do that um, maybe it's trying to put on a bit of muscle to you know look good in a tight shirt when you go out to the pub you know all of these things are valid motivations for getting into it but you can't train week on week month on month the same outcome and expect to see a benefit you can't you know linear progression doesn't exist you have to to cycle it and recover like you say yeah and what what you're saying is uh, I think an important point to touch on is the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation so uh, most people probably do start from what well, everyone starts from an in extrinsic standpoint you're never doing it for the sake of like the love and enjoyment you get out of it from the start um, but yeah over time you'll get to that place and that's I think it's just so good isn't it and that once you hit that point where you're intrinsically motivated where the motivation is coming from within that it impacts more of your life as well so you know it's not just an hour's training session four times a week it it starts to impact on your your life habits as well um you don't have as many beers on the weekend you know you start to eat better food all of those things and adds just a a more positive kind of impact on the rest of your life yeah 100 percent. even the way you talk about it you know you're extrinsically motivated so you say you're on a diet and trying to lose weight and then you hear people that are intrinsically motivated and they say, oh, I don't eat that type of food. Um, yeah, you, you, that's the difference to me. 
Yeah, it's just such a nice place to be. And I think it's important to remind people that what, you know, intrinsic motivation lasts longer. Extrinsic motivation will come and go and that will change depending on the season, um, you know, the weather, your mood, whatever. But actually intrinsic motivation is fairly stable um, and does tend to last a lot longer and kind of keep you engaged with your sport um, for a longer period of time. 100%. I've um I've got a note down here to talk about training partners as well because obviously we used to train together um, a long time ago yeah. now. I'm not sure I keep up anymore. Um, but how important do you think having a training partner is to somebody who's getting started um, and also people that kind of take part regularly? Yeah, in, especially in the early days, I think it's really, really important when you look at the three factors for intrinsic motivation one of them is relatedness so if, if you can relate to someone else going through the same thing and keep each other accountable to keep that consistency I think you're more likely to get to a level where you're high enough in that to be intrinsically motivated and yeah I mean I had training partners the whole time throughout uni as well and I only really haven't the last last few years I think it, it's kind of nice as well isn't it um, you talk about relatedness and people um, going through the same thing at the same time but also when you're coming from a position of a bit more experience to have someone who's new come to you and say I'm a little bit lost I'd like to get involved with this can you help me out and actually you start going with someone who's new um, and it's a chance to give back in a way isn't it yeah yeah and again that's one of the other components is competency so if you can get them to a high enough level where they are competent you're only going to add to that as well yeah and I think obviously it's a, a flaw in the business isn't it because if you're a personal trainer you want people to keep coming back and, and having sessions with you but you work with elite sports people I work with a lot of youth athletes I guess your guys are always going to be with you whilst they're in the elite programme my main aim is to make people like you say give them enough competency that they can go out and they can do these things by themselves um, yeah you know, so that's it's not not necessarily training partners at that stage because we're not training with them. But you know, we are kind of giving back. And I, I mentioned in a previous episode about this idea of community. Um, and I know that anyone who's a, a road user and driving absolutely hates them. But <laughs> I, I recently joined a, a cycle club, um, so I'm happily blocking the roads of Surrey um, on a weekend now. But I've actually found the motivation joining something like that with a group of strangers has just kind of been really refreshing what, um, why do people go side by side why can't you go behind each other <laughs> the idea is that if you've got six people all strung yeah. out behind each other it's a long overtake but if you've got three people who are next to each other you know, like three pairs then it's just a quicker a quicker Man, overtake that's so, that's so much worse you need to go behind each other <laughs> I don't think that this argument would ever have <laughs> an ending where both parties agree. No. But at least I know, at least I know why now. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> oh. um, so thinking about those those people that are, you know, new to to exercise and kind of getting into whatever it is whether it's running whether it's the gym whether it's home workouts you know the amount of money that is pumped into advertising for supplements and quick fixes and 
all of this kind of stuff you know you're just bombarded with it it's on instagram it's in the newspapers it's on tv like what would your recommendation be for someone who's thinking about supplements or thinking do they need supplements yeah again when i go back to our school days the amount of money we wasted on whatever supplements we were taking um like bcas is the big one that everyone talks that talks about isn't it they're if you get enough protein intake, they're a waste of time. Um, there's a really good paper that summarises um, what is actually useful. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. There's loads of evidence for creatine. Most people are vitamin D deficient, so that that's probably if you don't get a lot of exposure to sunlight. Um, in terms of like multivitamins and stuff, if you have quite a well-rounded diet, you shouldn't be deficient in too many of those. And obviously caffeine does improve performance as well but like I said before we jumped on this as well I'm trying to give up caffeine at the moment because you've become over reliant on it and it can affect your sleep um, but yeah when you look at stuff like time to exhaustion caffeine has a really positive effect there so I guess it's kind of about balance as well you know if you're getting enough sleep and you're entering your workout and you feel refreshed you probably don't need to be taking pre-workouts and lots of caffeine and things like that and then with the supplements, like if you're getting enough protein and carbohydrate from your, your diet, which you know you should be if you're eating the right foods, then you can save a lot of money in, in the first instance, but actually um, get those things from a more natural source, just from food. Yeah, so protein is one I, one I missed out there. Um, we, we know that high protein diets are really beneficial so yeah if you're not getting that from your diet it's, it's worth investing in like a, a whey protein powder yeah and perhaps that leans more towards and I, I might be stereotyping here but perhaps more um, vegetarian or vegan diets where the kind of natural fishes and meats that you know other people would rely on are, are not there and you need to eat um, other foods in kind of a higher quantity to obtain the same amount of protein that might be yeah. difficult and might not kind of line up with other training goals so maybe supplements come into that a little bit yeah for sure um, yeah if you're so you should be aiming to hit about 1.6 to 1.7 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight yeah. so if, if you feel like you're not getting near that then weight protein is definitely what I'd use yeah nice and nice. then if, if you don't know if you're deficient in a certain vitamin or mineral or not I think it's always worth just supplementing it see if you notice the difference and if you don't just stop buying it yeah I quite like that um, it saves I mean the rest of us don't have blood testing kits or whatever you need to find out those things so I mean particularly vitamin D I guess would be relatively topical at the moment as we head into winter and you know the working day is kind of all the daylight hours gone isn't it um, yeah heading out in the dark heading home in the dark um, so maybe the vitamin D is a great recommendation for those that you know maybe work indoors or in an office and, and don't get outside um, yeah as much as and it's, hours. it's really affordable as well so it's no no big expenditure because that's the other thing as well I think that training can be as expensive as you want it to be but it doesn't need to be that's you know kind of the idea of this is that it, fitness and health are actually accessible to everybody if you do it smartly you don't have to invest lots and lots of money into this yeah apart from your cycling that's a ridiculous <laughs> expensive <aren't they? laughs> I think cycling is partly a fashion show as well so that's not necessarily <laughs> indicative of the rest of sports but I was 
trying to find a bit of research on uh, weight loss supplements and this is just a multi multi million pound industry for all these companies that claim they can sell weight loss basically um, and I guess my thoughts on that are that if any of them works there would only be one um, I just I, you know do you think there is a shortcut into that no, like, and I don't know if you followed James Smith, but he's done the whole calorie deficit thing to death. Like, there's no, there's no shortcut to that. And then that's not what I was going to mention was CBD oil is getting really big now. As far as I know, there's no research behind that. I'm, I might be wrong, but that's really expensive as well, and people are um, spending like 100 pounds a month for whatever on CBD oil. So is and, that for yes. a, a weight loss supplement for CBD? Is no, so I know some, some people will like rub the oil if they're getting joint pain and that, that kind of stuff. Um, I can't remember what the other reported benefits are, but I asked our nutritionist about it a few months ago and yeah, he, he said there wasn't any evidence on it at that point in time. Because what we want is people making smart decisions, right? So if you've got joint pain, then there's something wrong with what you're doing currently and spending £100 a month on an oil to rub into it is not the smart decision. The smart decision is go and see a physio, um, you know, go and see a professional about this as opposed to just kind of following the myth or the, the fad of the time. Yeah, trying to work out why you're getting joint pain in the first place, yeah. Yeah, the actual cause of it as opposed to just, yeah, <laughs> paracetamol or a bit of oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we love a quick fix, don't we? Like, yeah. it's in our nature to want to do things kind of overnight and, and that just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Um, you know, they don't exist, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, part of that, and it's our motivation thing again, I just think it's so important that there isn't, whatever your goal is, whether it's to look better, whether it's to lose weight, get fitter, do your first marathon, all these things take time. You know, it's, it's not something you can just do as part of your New Year's resolution in January. Yeah, if, if you do try and do it straight away, that's normally where you end up injured, uh, like, like we spoke about before. So yeah, you, you want to give yourself a lot of time to achieve what you want to. But then obviously within that, you can set shorter, medium and long-term goals and break it up that way. Yeah, so it might even be just run for five kilometres. You know, that's we talk about marathons as if that's the goal, but actually, you know, running a 5K um, is equally as big an achievement for someone who, who can't do that at the moment. So you know, understanding that every goal is is worthwhile um, and it doesn't just have to be these these big numbers, you know, sort of marathons are topical with the London Marathon today. But yeah, um, yeah all of these things, you know, it's relevant to you, isn't it, or the individual? Yeah, I, I still remember, I, I never used to run and I remember doing my first 5 and 10k over lockdown. And yeah, that, I felt really happy when I achieved that. And then I was planning on doing a half, but I haven't, haven't committed to one yet. <laughs> Are you going to sign up for one or are you just going to do it by yourself? Um, I'm thinking about doing the bath half in March. But are you prepared yeah, to commit to that on the podcast? Are you going to put it out there and we can check in with you in March and see how you found no, it? We'll, we'll edit that out. <laughs> we look forward to having you back in the new year then to hear how the training is going for that. <laughs> I think um, if I wasn't playing rugby at the moment, I probably would commit to it, but it's... I struggle to get the amount of training in per week that I'd um, want to do for that. So it's another it's another important point, isn't it? It's prioritising. You, you work, 
Two jobs or three jobs at the moment? Um, so I, I've just started working at another gym, so I take morning classes and weekend classes at that one. Yeah. Then obviously my nine to five kind of job is pentathlon, and then I do some PTing outside of that as well. So it's it's three jobs. It's going to the gym yourself. It's doing your running, and it's playing rugby. To kind of put a half marathon on top of that is, it would be too much, right? Yeah, I think I struggled too. So I did my first longer run that I've done in ages yesterday. I did an 8K. Um, and before I started playing rugby again, I got my best 10K time down to about 49 minutes. Nice. And I, I did that 8K at six-minute pace, and it did not feel good. <laughs> I think I still gave you a kudos on Strava for that one. Uh, cheers. <laughs> worthy of a little like. <laughs> but yeah, there, there are going to be priorities, aren't there? And, and accepting that is, is important. You know, if you do have one job, maybe more, one kid, maybe more, you can't always prioritize every single training session. There will be some that get missed and actually it's, it's not the end of the world and it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And the, the other thing on that is if you want to be good at something, you need to train for that instead of trying to train for everything. Yeah. Um, which again, it seems quite popular at the moment, like train for everything, be good at everything. That's in in my mind that's not how training works you train for something to be good at that you can't train to be good at everything yeah but when when you say that you know if you want to get into running then you need to spend time running you're not going to get better at running if, if you don't do any um, yeah. but there are different modes of training that can improve that we spoke about going to the gym to help prevent injury um, mm -hmm. you could cycle you could swim as a kind of an extra session a week that you know gives your you know your Achilles tendon a bit of a break in terms of the load but still gives you that that CV kind of impact um, so pick your like have your one focus is what you're saying just pick that work towards that but there's you know lots of contributing factors yeah so that's again I did a post on that recently about the the different um, the different things you think about when planning your cardio training is metabolic neuromuscular and musculoskeletal so you might be going off and doing another session with a very specific purpose so you're doing your running up to a point where your um, soft tissue can handle that amount of load and then you might top up with doing some VO2 max sessions on the bike for example but that, that is for a specific reason to support your running the, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of cross training I don't think you get as much transfer as people think yeah. and the example I always give is if you did, triathletes would be the best runners in the world because they do so much more total training volume. Yeah, so really, I never actually considered it that way, but yeah, they would they would be because <laughs> obviously, particularly triathlon, the longer forms of that, looking at the half and the the full Ironman where they're competing for about eight plus hours, um, yeah. it's, it's longer than anybody would ever run for on its own. So the amount of training volume that's gone into that is is crazy uh, we're not trying to put people off triathlon by <laughs> saying that it's more work if you enjoy running cycling and swimming then you know definitely stay involved with triathlon um but it's probably not going to make you win uh the, the next london marathon in a year's time by doing that yeah awesome um obviously we're we're lucky to have you on because you are able to give an insight into the elite sporting world, the, you know, these guys are the absolute pinnacle. Um, is there anything that, I guess from the outside, I, I kind of have these guys and girls on a, on a pedestal, you know, they're doing something that's unattainable and, 
um, out of reach for absolutely anything or anyone. But you know, are their habits significantly different to you know you or I um, or anybody listening to this? Is there something you know? Is there a, a golden bullet, or do they just do the basics? Yes, yeah, interesting question. The, so our program philosophy and our, our program director just left. So I don't know if this will change it up in the next cycle, but he was really big on actually anyone can be really, really good at this. You just have to do it for 10 years and be really consistent over that time. So like you said, the habits within that the turn up every day for 10 years and you'll probably go and win a gold medal if you train hard enough and apply yourself each session. So that must, I don't know if that answered your question or not. I think it does. And then perhaps on a smaller scale for the rest of us, turn up every day for a year and train and exercise and you know follow the right habits and we'll achieve our goals. Obviously, they're not necessarily an Olympic gold medal, but you know we'll achieve the goal that we've set for ourselves. Yeah, and like, my opinion is people are so much more capable of achieving really, really high performances. Um, you know like before I got into running I never ever ran and I had all these self-limited beliefs about oh, I'm not a runner I'm too heavy and whatever but actually you can just stick to it for a prolonged period of time and you'll you'll be surprised at what you can achieve amazing absolutely amazing I think that's a, a really good place for us to to finish there it's a nice message for people to go home with um, Tommy thank you so much for giving up your time to, to talk no to worries. us and we look forward to hearing how you get on with your your half marathon in March <laughs> cheers thanks for having me <laughs>